because uh, actually we have guests uh, probably half of our Sundays or so, and, and even more probably online. So, um, and I'm glad Mitch and the team introduced themselves as well. So uh, for our guests and for everybody, the same is true. My name is Paul Buckley, um, one of the pastors here, and uh, it's my privilege to bring God's word this morning. We are continuing in our series on the church, uh, and uh, last week we talked about the nature of the church, what it is and what it isn't. Um, this week we want to look at the purposes of the church. So the title of the message is Purpose Driven Church. I don't know why that's so blurry. Oh, it's up there. But anyhow, uh, Purpose Driven Church, uh, and you maybe have read a book on that, and this will be similar and probably different in some ways. So we're going to look at this important topic. Getting the purpose of something is really important. Uh, it's a principle, I think, of life. If we understand the purpose of something, we will tend to use that thing successfully. It will work for us. Uh, it, it won't break. If we, if we don't understand the purpose and don't uh, use something according to its purpose, usually it makes that thing break. And this is a principle I think works in life. It's a principle I tried to instill in my children. I try to remind myself of it as well, uh, that if you use something according to its purpose, you will tend to have success. One of my children illustrated this principle uh, years ago when he decided that um, the front railings of our front steps were the perfect distance apart to do push-ups. Uh, and so he put his feet on one railing and his hands on the other and then discovered that the railings really weren't designed for push-ups as they both broke and split off to the side. So if you're ever at our house and wonder why there aren't railings on the front steps, that is part of the reason why. Purpose of those railings is not to do push-ups, uh, and and I've been guilty of the same. There is many a bent kitchen knife, many uh, bent kitchen knife from being used as a screwdriver, many a broken patio chair from being used as an impromptu ladder, and then skin knuckles and back spasms that go with that. So this principle is true, and certainly is true for the church. If we don't properly understand the purpose of the church, we will likely end up breaking things that should be used differently and perhaps getting hurt and perhaps hurting others in the process. I do wonder about the effects of the pandemic on the church. The pandemic has had many negative effects on the church. Average attendance is down 30 to 50 percent in the church in the United States still. Uh, many churches have split over political views. A Barner survey done in this year found that as many as 42 percent of pastors are seriously considering quitting due to stress, loneliness, and political division. I think the pandemic has exposed weaknesses in the church, and um, I would submit that much of those weaknesses are perhaps related to misunderstanding and misapplying the purposes of the church. And it's a whole other message we could get into analyzing uh, those things, but I, I would submit that that's the case, at least in part. And so understanding the purposes of the church is really important. And then, of course, it begs the question, well, how do we know? How do you know what the purposes of the church are? Well, God's word. God's word has been given to us. God's word guides us. God's, words, God's word instructs us in the nature of the church, as we learned about last week, but also the purposes of the church. So we're going to look at one passage that's a great uh, springboard to examine this topic. This is a topic that you'll find throughout Scripture, and, and uh, there are different ways to approach Scripture and learn from Scripture. 
we love to, and we do for the most part, focus in on particular passages, but there's times to step back and kind of look at all of Scripture. So this is a message, and even this series is a little bit of doing that, but we're going to focus on, start with a key passage that is really helpful in terms of that, and that is Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. So let's pray and ask God to help us learn about the purposes of his church. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this wonderful passage in Acts chapter 2. Lord, we thank you for your design and your heart for your church and this particular local church, along with all local churches throughout the globe. And we ask you right now to give us help, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help me to teach well and proclaim your truth. Help us to hear from you, Lord. Help us to, to understand these truths. And Lord, to go the next step even as well, to apply them by your Spirit working in us. To apply them to ourselves personally. Help me to, to submit applications, but ultimately, Lord, we want to hear from you. So speak to us. Mold and shape us. and Guide us in these ways that we might, we might be engaged with your church according to your design to maximize our our success in, in the gospel, in these truths, in, in your local church. For the glory of your name, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 2, going to start in verse 41 through 47. Speaking of the early church, the church in Jerusalem, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This wonderful statement in the book of Acts is one of about nine different statements that Luke makes in the book of Acts. Each of these summary statements that he makes in Acts really are little pictures of the church. They're usually summary statements that happen after a certain, certain circumstances have happened and sums up what went on. But they are pictures of the church, and this one is a particularly poignant one. This shows us a church on fire for God. It shows us a church focused on God's purposes for the church. It shows us a church full of faithfulness and good fruits. Now the situation is somewhat unique uh, and, and we'll talk about that. But the, the, the fruit of how they're walking in these things, the lessons apply to the whole church throughout all Time. And I think we could sum it up this way, that faithful and fruitful churches are fully devoted to the essential purposes of the church. What I want to submit to you is the purposes, and this is in line with uh, theologians and Bible commentators, the, pur the purposes of the church are threefold. The worship of God, walking together as his people, and witnessing to a lost and needy world. And you might recognize our mission statement as a church, a, a way to sum up uh, the purposes of the church with these three, three things. The worship of God, walking together, and witnessing to the world. So let's dig in and let's look at this passage and learn and think about these things. So first, this teaches us about the purpose of worship. 
First, just to understand the word worship, what does that mean? It comes from an older word that uh, was worth-ship. But I guess it was hard to say worth-ship, so they got rid of the TH and made it worship. And so what do we learn about that origin? Well, it's worth-ship. It's assigning worth to something. It's, it's responding to something because of its worth. And, and you can find worth in all sorts of things, but ultimately, the greatest worth is found in God himself. All other worth actually is derived from who God is and what he's done. And so worship, of course, has to focus on God himself, the eternal, self-existent, triune God who is all-glorious, from whom all things uh, were made and for whom all things are made. The great I am, the ultimate eternal reality, God himself is, is the focus of worship because he is most worthy and truly the only one who is worthy because from him all other things come. And so the worship of God is the first and paramount uh, priority and purpose of the church. How do we see this in this passage? Well, in a number of ways. And again, this isn't the only passage, but it's a, a very helpful passage. First, we see the church engaged in worship by they're engaging the word. They are devoted to the teaching of the apostles. They are giving themselves. They are engaging. They are digging into the teaching of the apostles. What is the teaching of the apostles? Well, it's the core truth about Christ. But really what the whole word says, and, and the whole word ultimately, the word of God, the Bible, is ultimately about Jesus. It teaches us to Jesus. It either points to Jesus or from Jesus. And so the teaching of the apostles is the teaching about Christ. It's the teaching of the word of God. And, and we would know it now as the very word of God in the New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament yet. Um, and so God used the, used the apostles to speak the authoritative word of God. That is, that is now the New Testament. And so it's the word. And it's just not the word in general, though. It's the word properly understood. And properly understood, Christ is at the center of the word. I would submit you can't understand the word properly unless Christ is at the center. Unless we understand the connections, how it points to Christ or from Christ. And, and I'm sure you've seen in the New Testament how well the New Testament authors do this, right? They continually point to Christ again and again. They continue to point to the gospel. And they make application from that. We just went through Romans, right? And Romans is, is teaching about Jesus, the very righteousness of God. And it's leading us to that point and then leading us from that point how we live. And so it has all these implications. The word of God with Christ at the center is the teaching of the apostles, is the teaching of the very word of God. And the good news of Christ is our power and paradigm for all that we're called to be and do. It's the power because in the gospel we experience the reality that Christ has died for our sins. He died in our place. He paid for our sins. He offered up his righteous life in our stead because we've all fallen short and could not earn the favor of God because of our sin, of our falling short. And yet Christ fully earned the favor of God fully obeyed, fully loved, fully loved others, fully loved God, the Father, and then offered that righteous, precious life in your place. It's an amazing truth. It's glorious. There's, there's no better truth. There's no better news. And there's no more poignant illustration of the worth of God, by the way, than the cross of Christ and the resurrection. It's, it's, the, it's the 
center point of revelation of what God's like. And it's the power of God because when we believe that, when we put our faith in what Christ has done, who he is and what he accomplished, and all that that means, we receive the benefits of his death and resurrection. We are united with him in a profound, eternal way. And we experience power and new life. We receive the spirits in that, at that moment of understanding. And we receive new life. And we actually die to our sins and are raised to new life in a spiritual way there. Even though we may not be aware of all that, that's the reality. That's the power of the good news. And when we live in that power, we, we walk a new life. We, we live in the forgiveness. Shame and guilt are addressed. Our sinful natures addressed because we die with Jesus. And we're raised to new life. And so how could we continue in sin? The power of sin is broken. The paradigm of sin is addressed as well. Because the, the paradigm, the pattern, the picture, the template of the cross is a death to sin itself and life to God power of the Holy Spirit. And so it shows us what our life is to be as we live in that reality. As Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's Paul's kind of life statement. That's the life statement of every believer. And so in the, in the gospel, we've we experience the power and paradigm to live a new life that applies to every aspect of life. It's, it's immensely relevant, immensely practical, immensely powerful for everything in life. It instructs us how to be better parents, how to be better children, better citizens, better neighbors, employees, bosses, everything. It teaches us about forgiveness and humility and love. It guides us and it, and it connects to all the Word of God. It brings it all together. We understand the word and how to apply it. And so worship is with the word of God as an essential part because the word is powerful. Uh, I love what David Paulson, some of us maybe met David Paulson for the first time via our conference. He's actually no longer alive, but he's uh, one of the founders of CCEF, this Christian Counseling and Education Foundation. And he says this, the word of God is living and alive it strikes home, convicting you of sin and convincing you of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. This word effectively elicits your love, powerfully renews your mind, wisely guides, guards, and shepherds your walk. The word of God is an essential aspect of the worship of God, the prime purpose of the church. Secondly, the Jerusalem church was devoted to the breaking of bread. Notice in the passage it says, the breaking of bread. Uh, not just breaking of bread, to the breaking of bread. Um, and that's notable and important because it isn't just speaking of any breaking of bread. Certainly the, it speaks of breaking of bread, literally, and, and which means eating food. But it's not just any meal, it's the breaking of bread. And so what does Luke mean by this? He means what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. And the early church would have experienced communion regularly and the early church would have met in homes, house churches they didn't have buildings and now they, the early church in Jerusalem was meeting in the temple uh, but also house to house and when, when they gathered house to house as house churches they would, they would be devoted to the breaking of bread of, of celebrating communion and having a meal together probably, uh, probably having communion and then a meal afterwards 
And so they're devoted to the breaking of bread. And this is an important part of our worship. It's an important part of the worship of the early church. It's an important part of our worship now as God's people as we gather together. Now, we may not have a full meal uh, on Sunday. Sometimes we are potlucks. But we regularly practice the breaking of bread communion because it is an important aspect of our worship. We call it communion, and that's a fitting word because it's, it's more than just a mere remembrance, remembrance of Christ's death for us on the cross, though it certainly is that. But it's an encounter with the living God. First Corinthians 11, the Corinthians are experiencing the discipline of God not because they didn't remember properly, but they didn't regard the, the profoundness of communion. They didn't discern the body, both the, the body of that local church, but also the body of Christ celebrated through communion. And so it's an encounter with God. It's a sacramental expression of the reality of our life in Christ. Sacrament is a mystery. It, it's, a, it's a mystery, uh, a truth that, that carries with it great meaning. Mystery not in the sense like we have no idea what it means, but, but it carries a deeper meaning in ways we don't understand about our communion with Christ. So it's an actual communion with God, communion together when we celebrate communion as a church, an ongoing sign and seal and celebration of our shared life with Christ himself. It's a profound and important part of our worship together. Continuing on in the passage, they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, and, and then I mentioned the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. Interesting, again, it's not just prayer. Uh, they didn't devote themselves to prayer, um, though they did, but that's not what it says. It says to the prayers. And we talked about this some time ago when we went through, um, about a year or so ago, we went through what does the Bible teach us about corporate worship. And we dug into this passage. The prayers are, are from what we understand, are the prayers that were recited and shared together in the temple along with personal prayer. You can look elsewhere and see that. Chapter 3 uh, you read about, it says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And the, at that time, uh, the people of God in Jerusalem would gather for prayer three times a day at nine in the morning, at noon, and at three. And, at, and I believe at the nine and three, there were sacrifices that were offered um, at the temple, at the altar. And there were prayers. And there were corporate prayers that would be recited and God's people would s- recite them together. Prayers like the Shema, based on Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. The Amidah is another one, the 18 blessings. Those were prayers that were offered, from what we know, at the temple to, at the time. So the prayers are those uh, pre-written prayers that were recited together. Now, uh, we know that also at the temple there was personal individualized prayer that went on. So, they, so when it says the prayers, it meant going to the temple and praying together and praying in these different ways. And so we understand prayer in this way. It's not just personal prayer, not just the prayer meeting, but it's prayers together as we're here in God's presence, as we recite things, as, as we remember important truths together. These, these are ways to express the prayer of the church and that's such an important part of the worship of God, the prayers of God's people, the incense before the altar right, in the temple it signifies the prayers of the saints and this is a 
hugely important part of worship. And the book of Acts is a wonderful illustration, along with the rest of the New Testament, of God's people at prayer. I think it teaches us that a, a healthy people, a church that is alive, is a church at prayer, a church that prays. Uh, a church of prayer is a humble church. A church of prayer is a church that's desperate for God, realizes that, that we need him, that we can't do really anything good on our own. And he's given us this powerful, important instrument of experiencing his grace, which is prayer. And if we neglect prayer, we neglect it to, to our danger because we need the Lord. And prayer is the, the appointed means that God works and moves. That's so important to understand. God is totally sovereign. He does whatever he pleases. He can use anything to do anything he wants. But he has determined to use the prayers of God's people. And a prayerless people will likely result in God not moving and working. Because he has decided to move and work through the prayers of his people. And so there's two sides to that, right? There's the, the warning. Let's not be prayerless. Uh, because we have not, because we ask not. Positive is let's pray. Let's pray again and again and again. Let's play, pray on Sundays as we are formally worshiping. I invite you, by the way, to pray with us at 9.30 every Sunday morning. We'll be downstairs in the Lazarus room. We just moved it from my office to the Lazarus room, which is the room right under the stairs. Uh, and if you join us, we'll explain why it's called the Lazarus room. So every Sunday at 9.30 uh, to pray with us. I also am excited about uh, some... I think new efforts in our prayer as a church. Um, my desire is to have a quarterly prayer and fasting week. Um, and my thought at this point, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but is to take the week, the, the full week before Thanksgiving week as a prayer and fasting week and to actually um, transform all of our regular meetings that week, for the most part, if we can, into prayer meetings. So uh, if you regularly go to a community group, if you regularly go to a Bible study, that during that week that you will actually make the time about prayer. And we will have some uh, ways to help you pray. If you're able to fast, that could be anything from one meal to the whole week, if you're able to do that, if you've done that before. Uh, be careful in doing that, and we'd love to give you counsel on how to think through that. But if it's a meal or the whole week, or if you're not able, that's okay. Uh, but to fast and pray that week in those contexts, and then I hope on Saturday of that week, uh, to set up a time for those of us who have been fasting, perhaps to break our fast together, have a prayer meeting, break our fast, uh, and have a meal together on Saturday evening. I'm excited about that because I, I think the Lord loves to answer our prayers. And when we seek him in all these ways, and we seek him in these special ways, he's pleased to work. And there's so many things we want to see him do. There's so many things we want to give him thanks for that he's been doing, he has done. But there's so many things we want to see him do in building this church, reaching the lost, making us more like Christ, using us among the nations. So let's pray. Let's use this important gift of prayer in the worship of God. So this first purpose, the worship of God, is the chief purpose ultimately of the church, just so you know. All the others actually fold into this purpose. It's about the worship of God. Church is not primarily about the care and discipleship of God's people. It is not primarily about reaching the lost and helping the needy. It is not about your self-fulfillment. It is not about belonging and becoming. 
as much as it is about the worship of God. And perhaps this, in some of the books on the purposes of the church, this is a key ingredient that is missing. All these things ultimately are for the glory of God, for the worship of God, for the enjoyment of God and all of his goodness and all of his worth. That's what this is about. That's what our Sundays are about. Being in his presence, tasting and seeing that he's good. And, and I'm so grateful because Sunday after Sunday, he visits us. And we experience his presence. We experience just a, a fresh understanding of how good he is, how, how faithful he is, how gracious he is, how holy he is. Again and again through the different elements that, that we have of singing and, and sacrament and the sermons and, and fellowship together. He visits us. And I've had many people talk to me about their sense of God's presence in Sunday mornings in this church. And, and, uh, and I always remember, I've shared this story probably many times, of a church I interned at where this woman who uh, was involved in Alpha and was interested in the things of Christ but hadn't yet come to faith, she visited our church. She was like a CEO uh, type person, very self-controlled and, and stuff. And she encountered the presence of God amidst the people of God in worship and she started to cry and, it, and she was not someone who cried and she, she actually was so freaked out she ran out of the church uh, she came back later, came to Christ and she's walking with Christ now but, but that's just an illustration of the reality and let us never take this for granted and let us pray every Sunday, Lord please we want to see your glory once again fill our time, visit us we want to worship you, our, our greatest good is to be in his presence glorifying and enjoying God. Second purpose we encounter here is what we call walk. Walking with God's people. So this church in Jerusalem devoted themselves to these things and then it's, it says here, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and then the fellowship. Again, the use of the word the. It isn't fellowship but it's the fellowship. Uh, and first off, the the word fellowship is important to understand. Uh, it's a word that, that, it's a weird word, isn't it? Fellowship, we don't use that word a whole lot. Um, it's, it's a word in the original language that, that really can be rendered partnership or participation or communion. And it's this idea of a shared, uh, sharing something in common, sharing a mutual endeavor. I actually think that, that the closest word for us in English nowadays is team. Um, because I think we, a lot of us understand team, right? Team, you're together. We understand we're for each other on a team and we're for a purpose. That's actually what that word means. So fellowship is an older version of that word that may lose its meaning for us because we're not familiar with it. So when it says here they devoted themselves to the fellowship, they're really saying they devoted themselves to the team. They devoted themselves to the local church there in Jerusalem. That's what it's saying. It isn't just fellowship in general, but it's the fellowship, it's the, the fellowship of that local church. It's the team being together with the team, with the local team that they were called to, this fellowship. And it's, it's amazing that this team that we're a part of, the, certainly the, the larger, the whole church, but also, uh, and, and, and more practically important for us, the local church, we're called to a profound uh, reality of being on the team with God on our team. He's with us. And so uh, 1 John 1, 3 and elsewhere speaks of 
this reality. It says, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Apostle John wants others to receive the gospel, the truth, so that they might be on the team, that they might have this fellowship, this relationship, this, this communion, this, this purposeful communion together with God's people. And so we need to understand that, that the fellowship means actually being part of God's team, being joined together in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit in a profound way. It's really the human relationship at the deep, deepest level possible. It actually transcends all other human relationships, ultimately. The ultimate family, the ultimate team is the church. Now, all those other relationships have their place. We need to be careful to understand that. But ultimately, the fellowship is, is the prime context the Lord has designed. And there are so many benefits and purposes in the fellowship. We, I can't get into all of them, but some... Uh, just briefly, fellowship involves growth in godliness. God wants to make us more and more like Jesus. And his design isn't to take you out into the desert and get you to read a good book and to change you that way. Nothing wrong with reading books. Maybe nothing wrong with going to the desert, if you like the desert. But that's not God's design. Um, God's design isn't to take you to some special seminar or go to a special school to grow in Christ. His design is to put you in a church with fellow sinners who struggle as well, but who are experiencing the grace of God, the power and paradigm of the gospel, and are committed together, like we talked about last week, to be members of that body, which means being committed one to another, to love each other, to forgive each other, to also speak the truth and love to one another. It's a group project, and it involves many different aspects. First and Perhaps foremost, we need to encourage one another. First Thessalonians 5.11, Paul says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We need help from others to help us resist sin and temptation. We still, though we're new creations, the old person is still in us. The sinful, broken humanity is still there. We're still in the world, which doesn't want us to bend the knee to Jesus. We have an active enemy, a spiritual enemy, the devil and his minions. And so we need help. And so the author of Hebrews says, but exhort one another every day. Isn't that interesting? As long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort, encourage, be there for one another. There's power in confessing our sins and finding people we can trust to confess and share our sins with. James says in James 5, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Wow, there's healing that comes when we confess and share our, uh, our struggles with others. And it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is the fellowship, being on the team together. This is what teamwork in the church looks like. We grow in godliness in these ways. We also provide mutual care for each other because we live in a fallen world. With fallen bodies and situations, life can be very hard and we suffer. Be in this world is to suffer. And 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is what we're called to do. Share our lives in such a way that when one is suffering, we suffer with them. We, 
we empathize with them, we are with them to care for them, to help them. And by the way, I think you guys do this very well. I want us to grow all the more in this. The, the church here in Jerusalem is doing this in some profound ways. Now, those ways are probably uh, are, are unique. Um, it says that all, uh, verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking breads in their, bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The church in Jerusalem was in a unique situation. Uh, many had come to Christ at a, a, a festival, so there probably were a lot of people who were not natives from Jerusalem. They were there. They had entered into this new life, and the best thing for them were, was to remain there and to be discipled, and yet it meant people who were without jobs and without places to live. How did their church respond? They cared for one another. They actually sold houses and land to raise money. It's, it's amazing if you think about it. It would be amazing for our culture, but in their culture... Those houses and land, those were family inheritances over many generations. And so you were, in a sense, selling your future away to do that. And yet, that's how they cared for one another. It was all voluntary. There was no requirement. You can read about it in Acts. But they did so because they loved one another. They wanted to care for the poor in their midst. There was mutual care and a profound picture of what we're called to. I don't think in our present circumstances we need to be selling houses and lands, but there may come the day when we do. And if the church is understood properly, that is a proper priority in, in times of great crisis, to care for one another. That's what we're called to. That's what it means to be part of the team. Also, fellowship means to share in giftedness together. God has designed the body in such a way that none of us have a whole lot of gift to give, but we all have something profound to give. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So we all have gifts to give and to share. And the body's not complete unless you are sharing your gifts, unless you're connected and serving and giving. And I am again so glad in our church that so many of you do this. It's, it's how we're designed. Um, we're not a church that my job, of course, as one of the pastors is preach and lead in certain ways, but we're a body. This isn't, this isn't the Paul and Toby show or the Mitch Paul and Toby show. This is us together. Each of your gifts are important and integral to the life and mission of this local body. So, two purposes so far. Worshiping God, walking together, and then the final part, connected to all these, is witnessing. Our fellowship, of course, involves our witness. It's connected. It's, it's connected in really important ways. John 13, 35 says, by, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. If you are the body as you're called to be, if you're the body at worship as you're called to be, people will see that you are disciples, that you are followers of Christ as you walk in the gifts. And Paul talks to the Corinthians about the proper exercise of the gift of prophecy uh, alongside all the others, really, but the gift of prophecy properly used, those who don't yet know Christ will say, surely God is in your midst, like my friend who ran out <laughs> but came back. The church knit together in these ways, worshiping actually is a powerful witness to the reality of Jesus Christ and his reign in the kingdom. And this church in Jerusalem was so powerful in this, they 
that it says that it says praising God having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved this church grew very quickly actually as they walked in these things together this is what the church is called to this is what the church here in the book of Acts was called to just before our section actually Jesus told them this explicitly he said uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth he's speaking to the uh, apostles but really to the whole church and it's actually interesting it's because there's a dialogue going on with the apostles they ask Jesus they say Lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel Acts 1 6 he said to them it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority and we might read that and think what dopes didn't they see this but actually it was a really good question because these guys had grown up expecting the Messiah expecting God to send his his king his his servant to restore Israel it, the scriptures say that and so they grew up with that like when they played as kids they didn't play like Marvel you know Spider-Man pretend to be Spider-Man or Superman they pretended to be Messiah man and that's how they thought and so now it happened this they've been with him for three years he died they thought it was all over and now he rose from the grave and he's right there with them and of course this must be the time and it could have been the time by the way he could have said yes you're right we're going to do it right now. I'm going to, it's going to all, the angels are going to come and everyone's going to stand before the throne and going to judge mankind and set up the eternal kingdom right now. He could have done that. But he introduced them to an aspect they hadn't seen, which was in the, is in the Old Testament, that there's a mission for the kingdom to not merely be the restoration of Israel, but the kingdom to expand to all peoples, the whole globe. And so the mission is to be his witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Start where you are. Be a local church. Be his witness in who you are and how you love your neighbors. And what you say to your neighbors. Go to the lands around you. Go beyond. Go to the whole globe. And of course the story of Acts and the story of the whole church is of people going forth to the whole globe, planting churches, maturing those churches, multiplying the churches, moving on. This is the witness of the church. We have a message that changes everything. The ultimate reality is not the reality your neighbors live in, not the reality that your family members think is reality. The ultimate reality is God and the truth of Christ crucified and risen. All authority in heaven and earth has been given him. Therefore go. Every knee will bow every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. The ultimate reality is the truth of Jesus, not these other realities. The ultimate culture is the culture of the truth of the gospel and his kingdom reign. And people are living in ignorance and blindness. And often in what simply need is for them to hear, actually what ultimately is needed is for them to hear the message, to see it lived out, but to hear it, to be his witness. I don't know if you've heard the story of John Currier. John Currier uh, committed murder at the age of 16 in East Tennessee Hills while he was drunk. He was sentenced to life in prison in 
1949. He was sent uh, to carry out a sentence by working on a farm, kind of a work release program where he, was, he had to stay at the farm and so forth. And in 1968, his sentence was completed. And a letter bearing the good news was sent to him. But John Currier never saw the letter. He was not told anything about it. Life on the farm was hard and without promise for the future, yet John kept doing what he was told, even after the farmer himself died. Ten years went by. 1979, a state parole officer learned about Currier, found him and told him that his sentence was complete. He heard the good news, and he was a free man. There are many John Carriers out there who need to hear and believe the good news that in Christ their sentence has been completed by Christ himself. And in Christ they are free, forgiven, and they have a new life to live in Christ. And God has determined to use us as his witnesses, as his church in these ways, in concert with these other purposes to be his witnesses. So, as I conclude, we have three purposes that are vitally interlinked and essential. The worship of God, the walking with God's people, a witness to the world. Let me ask you to consider some way maybe you have misunderstood or misused the purposes of even this church. Is there something that needed, needs to be added or subtracted and what you expect, what you think is priority for this local church? Bring that to the Lord. I trust that he's going to speak to you. Um, so let's just take a minute to pray and reflect on these truths. Ask the Lord to speak to us, and Pastor Toby will transition us to communion.